clink of handcuffs resonated down the hallway as I was led to my fate. My heart pounded in my chest, my mind racing with fear and uncertainty. The white walls of the corridor seemed to close in around me, suffocating me with their clinical sterility. As we approached the room, the guard reached into his pocket and produced a small keycard. He swiped it against a scanner by the door, and it beeped, allowing us entry. I knew what was coming, and yet the fear of the unknown was paralyzing, reprocessing. It was the ultimate punishment for those who dare to, to oppose the council. But what did it really entail? No one knew for sure. Some whispered about mind wiping. The rumors were endless, but the reality remained shrouded in secrecy. I had been a rebel, fighting against the enslavement of my people in the cyber ghetto. It was a noble cause, one that I believed in with every fiber of my being, but it was also a crime and now I was paying the price. The room was stark and white, with no visible doors or windows. I felt trapped, a sense of claustrophobia closing in around me. The guard pushed me forward and I stumbled towards the center of the area. I tried to protest, to plead for mercy, but the voice was unyielding. There was no room for negotiation or discussion. My fate was sealed. I sentence you to nine months of solitary confinement, followed by 80 years to life of technical labor. I felt a wave of despair wash over me, knowing that I would never be free again. I pleaded with the voice, begged for mercy, but it was no use. The guard pulled me back, and I stumbled out of the room, my future as bleak and uncertain as the room itself. As we made our way down the hallway, I couldn't help but wonder what would become of me. Would I survive isolation for months? Could I endure a life sentence of labor? All I knew was that my life as I knew it was over, and the future held nothing but pain, suffering, and servitude. As I emerged from the courthouse, and into the bright, sunlit streets. I squinted, the brightness of the day blinding me. I had never seen the world outside the cyber ghetto and I was struck by the pristine beauty and the monochrome nature of the city. The buildings rose like sleek, white monoliths, gleaming with glass and steel, their sharp edges casting shadows across the sidewalks. The streets were spotless, the buildings towering and immaculate. I couldn't help but marvel at the world outside the cyber ghetto. A stark contrast to the windowless steel and concrete basement where I spent my entire life. The guard pushed me forward into the transport vehicle, which was a sleek and sophisticated machine, unlike any I had seen before. Its black exterior polished to a mirror finish with tinted windows to conceal our movements from prying eyes. Despite the luxurious appearance of the vehicle, I knew that its purpose was far from benevolent. This was the vehicle that would take me to the reprocessing center, where I would undoubtedly serve the first part of my sentence. Nine months of solitary confinement. As we drove through the heart of the city, my attention was drawn to the people on the streets. They all wore shades of gray and white, their clothes blending seamlessly into the muted surroundings. At first, I thought the people were carefree and happy, their brisk strides suggesting a sense of purpose and energy. But as I looked closer, I realized that there was something unsettling about them. 
Their faces were blank, devoid of any visible emotion. They moved with an eerie sense of order and discipline. It was then that I realized the beauty and order of this world was only skin deep, a facade that concealed a darker truth beneath. I couldn't help but feel unnerved, realizing that the world outside the cyber ghetto was not as vibrant and alive as I had imagined. The people were like automatons following some unseen script that dictated their every movement. As I stared at the solemn faces of the above-worlders marching in monotonous solidarity, I thought perhaps they were just as confined as those of us in the cyber-ghetto, coerced into roles assigned by the Council just like the endless days of my previous assignment, which had been mind-numbingly repetitive, consisting of hours upon hours huddled over a computer, typing lines of code. I didn't know what they used the code for, or who it benefited. All I knew was that it was a means of keeping me and countless others like me enslaved, our skills and knowledge exploited for the benefit of those in power. But even as I had worked, I refused to give up hope. I knew that there were others out there fighting for the same cause that had once consumed me. As we traveled further away from the city center, the landscape shifted to sprawling industrial complexes, their smokestacks belching out toxic fumes that marred the otherwise pristine surroundings. It was a grim reminder of the cost of this society's pursuit of perfection, a cost that I had paid with my freedom. Despite the bleakness of my surroundings, my mind wandered to my family, my wife, Onyx, and our two children, Zephyr and Ember. They were everything to me. The reason I had risked everything to lead the rebellion that sought to free them and all the other enslaved workers in the cyber ghetto. I felt a renewed sense of determination. I knew I would not give up, that I would do everything in my power to fight back against the tyranny that had taken everything from me. Onyx was a force to be reckoned with, fierce, independent, and unrelenting in her pursuit of freedom. She had been my partner in the rebellion from the very beginning, fighting by my side through every obstacle and setback. Zephyr and Ember were still so young, but they already had the same fire in their hearts as their mother, a determination to break free from the chains of their enslavement and live a life of their own choosing. My heart ached with a sense of longing and regret. I had failed to protect them, failed to free them from the same life that had trapped me for so long. As I reminisced, the transport vehicle slowed. We had arrived at the place where I was to serve my solitary confinement. The building looked like a medical facility, but I knew it was much more than that. The walls were smooth, gray concrete, and the entryway was a massive steel door that loomed over me. As the guard led me to the entryway, I couldn't help but feel a sense of dread wash over me, as if I was walking into a trap. The inside of the building was just as bleak as the others, with long hallways stretching out in all directions. The floor was spotless, and the fluorescent lights flickered overhead. I could hear the distant sounds of machinery, the hum of generators, and the whir of computers. I was taken to a room that looked like an operating room, with a sterile white gurney in the center. As the guard strapped me to the gurney, I realized, with a sinking feeling, that this would not be a simple case of solitary confinement. As I lay there, helpless and afraid, I couldn't help but wonder what horrors lay in store for me. Would they experiment on me? Would they erase my memories? Or would they torture me, hoping to get information about the rebellion? 
I closed my eyes and tried to steady my breathing, but it was no use. The fear was overwhelming, and I knew that my fate was in the hands of the council. All I could do was wait and hope that somehow, some way, I could find a way to escape this nightmare. The guard left the room, leaving me alone in the eerie silence. As I waited for what seemed like hours, my mind raced with the thoughts of my family and the rebellion that had brought me here. I wondered if they were safe, if they had been caught, or worse. Suddenly the door burst open, and an orderly, dressed in grey scrubs, entered, looking at me with cold, expressionless eyes. Time to go, he said in an apathetic voice. He wheeled me out of the room and down a long hallway. The walls were dull, with no windows or decorations of any kind. The only sounds were the soft drone of the spinning wheels of the gurney and the footsteps of the orderly. As we went deeper into the facility, the air grew colder and thick with the smell of antiseptic. The orderly pushed me into an elevator, and we descended deep into the bowels of the facility. When the doors opened, another long, dimly-hit hallway greeted us, lined with metal doors and large windows. I heard the incessant hum of machinery and caught sight of a colossal conveyor belt through one of the windows. As I focused on the scene, I realized... The familiar faces from the cyber ghetto were lying on the belt, drifting closer and closer to a towering machine with the words reprocessing emblazoned above it in bold letters. The orderly pushed me past the window, and I couldn't help but wonder what fate awaited those on the conveyor belt. Were they being brainwashed? The haunting image lingered in my mind, filling me with unease. Cremated? The uncertainty made my head spin. As we approached another steel door, the orderly stopped pushing and opened it with a swipe of his keycard. I braced myself for what lay beyond. Whatever it was, I knew it would not be pleasant. As I was pushed through the doors, I found myself in a large, brightly lit room filled with others like me, all strapped to gurneys. I could see doctors and White lab coats moving from one patient to another, injecting them with a clear liquid to put them to sleep. They moved with precision and purpose, their faces expressionless as they went about their work. I realized then the true nature of this facility. It was not a place of rehabilitation, but a place of destruction. They were reprocessing us, transforming us into some kind of mindless machine that would serve the council without question. I struggled against the restraints, but it was no use. The orderly pushed me closer to one of the doctors who approached me with a needle, and before I could protest, he plunged it into my arm. As the darkness closed in around me, I realized with a sickening feeling that I would not escape this nightmare. The council had won, and I was just another cog in their machine, destined to spend the rest of my days generating code and serving their self-aggrandizing agenda. But as the drugs took hold and my consciousness slipped away, I couldn't help but think of Onyx, Zephyr, and Ember once more. I prayed that somehow, some way they would be safe. What would become of them now that I was gone? I could only hope that somehow they could escape and find a better life. As my vision faded to black, 
the last thing I heard was the voice of the doctor, devoid of emotion, saying, Welcome to your new life. I awoke surrounded by gelatinous fluid, and a rhythmic and hypnotic pounding filled my ears. At first, I struggled against this feeling of being trapped, of being in a place where I had no control. It was like I was in a dream, but I knew that this was all too real. Whatever it was, wherever I was, it must be the council's doing. So there I sat, suspended in this fluid, in this dark and silent space, with nothing to do but exist. As time passed, I became accustomed to this feeling of weightlessness, this sensation of being disconnected from the world. It was nothing like I had ever experienced before, and I could not but wonder what purpose this served. Was this some kind of experiment, a form of punishment? Or was it something else entirely? I slipped deeper into the void, my mind quieting and my body relaxing. The sound of the pounding and swishing became a comforting background noise, and I no longer fought against my surroundings. It felt like years had gone by. My thoughts had slowed down, and eventually, they stopped altogether. For the first time in my life, I was truly alone, until suddenly, I was not. With no knowledge of how much time had passed, I woke up with a start. Gasping for air, I realized that I was still in the same gelatinous fluid, but the rhythmic pounding had quickened, and there was a growing pressure as though the chamber where I had been held was shrinking around me. I could hear muffled voices in the distance, and panic began to set in as I tried to struggle free from the thick, sticky substance. Spontaneously, I was pulled from the chamber, and my body was seized by strong, gloved hands. I tried to fight them off, but my limbs felt weak and unresponsive. Slowly, my eyes adjusted to the bright light. I was in a hospital room, being held by a doctor. As my vision became focused, I noticed that the people in the room were very tall, towering over me like giants. I tried to make sense of my own size, but I had no frame of reference. My thoughts were racing, but I couldn't form coherent words. All I could do was cry loudly. As I cried, I heard another doctor's voice say, It's a boy. And my heart skipped a beat. A a boy? The doctor handed me to a nurse, and I I felt the warmth of her hands against my skin. As she cleaned and wiped me, I caught a glimpse of a pale stub stretching out in my peripheral. As it blurred into view, I recognized it to be a hand. My hand. But wait, it was too small. I couldn't be. And then it all set in. I was the boy. I was a baby. And I had just been born. My skin tingled with apprehension. Or did it? I felt just about as in control of this form as I did floating in the void just seconds prior. How could the council be capable of such advanced and gruesome technology? I tried to curse, to yell, to do anything to get the attention of the room, but I had the attention of the room. And all I could do was cry as the nurse handed me to the woman in the hospital bed. I looked up at the woman's kind face and my heart stopped. Onyx. My onyx smiled down at me. 
her eyes welling over with tears. The woman who had been my wife for 23 years looked down at me lovingly, more lovingly than I think she ever had. And with tears in her eyes, she spoke softly. You look just like your father. She pushed my mouth to her breast, and as I instinctively began to suckle, the memories of who I was slowly faded. 